Hey guys, welcome to the Hidden Spoons podcast. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm your co-host, Ishmael. And today we interviewed Ant Andrews. This was a really exciting conversation. We talked to Ant about everything from his university days to his BBC documentary. And we got a lot of good laughs. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, the community around inflammatory bowel disease is just really strong. It was great to really have an open discussion about what that means to each of us. Yeah, so everybody sit back and enjoy our conversation with Ant. Welcome to the Hidden Spoons podcast. Today we're hanging out with Ant Andrews. Ant's joining us from the UK. He's very active in the Crohn's and Colitis community, promoting fitness, food, lifestyle, and mental health. Ant, we are so excited to talk with you today and hear more about your story, your perspectives surrounding life as a male living with this uh, chronic illness. So thanks for joining us today, and we're excited to kind of get to know you a little better and uh, kind of dive in. Thank you very much for having me. Um, what a warm welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever so gracious when they meet me. More, more of the time, they're just like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> you <laughs> you know. again, a regular. <laughs> That'll be the next time we see you. <laughs> oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as I was saying, guys, um, absolute pleasure to, to have me on. It's, it's always a pleasure to chat with people to, you know, talk about, you know, chronic illnesses and, you know, disabilities and, you know, share stories and all those sorts of things that will help others. So really, really pleased to be on. We were talking about it before we started recording too, Tim and I, that it's been a pretty big year for you. I mean, you had your ostomy this year <laughs> and you had the BBC yeah. doc that came out. It's just been a crazy year. Yeah. I mean, take take the whole sort of pandemic that, that's affected the whole world. Just a, a complete roller coaster. Having had two um, operations, one for my first ileostomy, and then they had to do a revision of the site of it. And then, yeah, did a documentary for the BBC, which was um, really, really exciting. Um, and yeah, it's kind of taken off from there, really. But it's just, just so I can talk about more about chronic illnesses and stuff. Because I feel like, you know, I think you guys and maybe a few others are the only real gentlemen that i see that actually openly talk about having a chronic illness and stuff like that and for me that's why it's really exciting because there's so many women that will share their experiences and stuff but there's hardly any guys and why do you um, why do you think that is i think it's just uh, there's a couple of things i suppose male psychology not wanting to be vulnerable i suppose and not wanting to openly share that you're you're vulnerable and i guess there's that sort of sense where girls will talk about their illnesses and how they're feeling obviously a lot better than some guys do and I think as well there's always just a, a presence on social media where more women will just talk in general and promote parts of their lives which, which guys just won't do yeah. but I think it also demonstrates the, the power of how social media can be used for like beneficiary for for individuals especially when with when you're suffering with sort of chronic illnesses and things like that as I said we've all we've all spoken sort of very loosely over the past couple of years and it's just those little sort of touch points when you, when you sort of speak to people and say, how are you doing? Or, you know, do you, do you mind if I have some advice on something like this? Or what can you do here? What can you do there? And it's been such a powerful tool when it's used sort of correctly, especially like if you guys ever have difficult periods of your of your life and you're wondering, oh, what's this flare up? Or I've not had this symptom before. And you reach out and, and nine times out of 10, you always get a positive response from people. So it's good. When did you kind of start sharing your story on social media? What triggered you to start sharing your experiences on social media with IBD? Probably was around 2017, 2016, something like that. It was a long, long time ago. I was having this conversation with my dad a couple of nights ago because he said, well, when did you start doing all of this? Because he kind of only really understood why I was promoting so much kind of this year because of the BBC and various other projects that I've done. And the main reason really was because there was no men that I 
was following at the time and it was just talking about having a disability especially within the IBD community and I just thought well if you've got to change that you've got to start talking about it and, and start doing these bits and pieces um, and I just kind of wanted to show that as a guy like you're okay just talking about your afflictions and ailments if you will and your ups and downs of having a, a chronic illness and, and what it's like to be disabled part of my sort of story journey was even though I am disabled you can still do anything that you want and a big drive of mine was oh, I want to get into shape I want to try and change my body to get much fitter sort of thing just because when you have this condition as, as you guys know kind of preaching to the converted with this but it's, it's very much a condition that is incredibly debilitating. And it was kind of saying, well, if I can go and do this, why can anyone not do what they want to do and do what they want to achieve? So that was, that was kind of the main reason why it started. And it's kind of sort of flourished. I have a lot of people now speaking to me, reaching out to me. I had a, a, someone speak to me yesterday in Singapore that was asking for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot, of, um, a lot of men speak to me in um, Egypt, Iran, Kazakhstan, things like that, because they don't really have a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've I've seen, they don't really have the healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few people saw my story on the BBC and just wanted to reach out and wanted to talk. And it's just quite interesting sharing your sort of experience with people all over the world, which is mad. Just yeah. it's, it's it's just crazy. Like people in other countries are trying to speak to me. I'm just so bizarre. When when this whole little thing started, I didn't think I'd be doing even connecting with with you guys. I don't even have that, have that many followers. <laughs> that's the craziest thing about it and that's the power of, of social media and the community anyone can speak to anyone and ask for help and stuff like that and yeah. i always feel like it's a positive thing if you can be nice and speak to someone and give them a bit of hope what year were you diagnosed i was diagnosed um it was the year after i just started university so i think it was 2009 it was around sort of march february time so I got my initial symptoms when I started university. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of September, October 2008. Yeah. So I'm curious, in that time frame from 2009 where you were diagnosed to like 2016 where you started sharing your experiences, were you comfortable sharing with people in that time or did it take like some sort of turn of events that led you to being more open about it? To be honest, I was kind of comfortable with it sort of day one. It may be different for, for you guys, but in the UK, you'd go to your sort of local GP or local doctor mm-hmm. they just they couldn't really work out what was wrong with me and um, they kept sort of saying oh it might be this it might be that but everything looks normal and you do a whole load of tests like blood tests um stool samples all those sorts of things and for a doctor to turn around and say it's normal you're like well how can that be normal like I've just given you that sample that sample is not normal mate I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. like look at that <laughs> come on and I got referred to a specialist and the only time we could go was on like a Tuesday and I had to leave school and I asked one of my friends who drove, I said, do you mind taking me to the doctor? And he was like, yeah. I was very open with my friends at the start because I was just so not well. So they really know what was going on and one of my friends took me um, and I remember it because I got prepped for a colonoscopy and he was in the room as I was being given all the pre-laxatives yeah. and all those things. <laughs> well, he was in the room, but I went into the toilet and <laughs> the doctor came in and said, are you Anthony? He said, no, he's in the toilet. I was like, hi, Doc, I'm in here. And then obviously you just hear yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything. In, in that sort of sense, I've, I've been sort of quite open with it since that point. But it took me a while to kind of do it on sort of social media, but mainly because it was more, are people going to be interested in what I'm saying rather yeah. than yeah, the, sure. the, not wanting to, to share it? Yeah, so that's why I was kind of curious if you were feeling anything like that prior to sharing your own journey online or any kind of struggle with 
coming to terms with the illness? When when I was first diagnosed, I was at university and there was a girl that I was friends with and basically said she had the same problem. She said, oh, you need to tell the university. The university will, will help you and, and put on like a therapist and give you lots of like additions to ensure that you'll stay and whilst you study, um, you know, you're comfortable. I got put through to the, the university sort of the pastoral care team. And they gave me a laptop, like an ergonomically designed chair. They paid for my internet for like three years. And they were like, don't worry about going to lectures. If you can't go, like, well, it doesn't matter. Everything will be online. Study at your own time. Do whatever you need to do. Like the university was so overly helpful. And I just kind of saw it at the time of, okay, I don't know what this is. So what's the prognosis? And even the doctors were like, well, you'll be on medication for life. And I was like, okay, what's the medication? And that was obviously well before any surgeries. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's these tablets, you've got to take them in the morning. I was like, fine, it'll make me better. That was just always the mentality. It never really sort of changed from that. Um, I remember that they, they, they gave me, um, they said, oh, you need to go to a couple of therapy sessions because obviously you'll, you'll want to talk about it. I was like, oh, well, okay, if I have to. I remember I went in, I sat down with the therapist, she was, and she was like, so, you know, tell me about how you're feeling. I was like, yeah, I'm good, you? <laughs> was like, but obviously, you know, you've been told you're disabled and yeah. you've got to have tablets and all these sorts of things. And I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, people have got it much worse than me, mate. So, you know, and she was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, I don't want to waste your time. I'm, I'm quite good. I was like, if I'm feeling down, I'll, I'll definitely come and speak to you about it. But yeah, just, just never did. And I just kind of, I know it sounds silly. I kind of just brushed it away because mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I was just, I was enjoying university too much to not worry as much. Maybe I was slightly naive in that sort of sense. And and maybe just because I, I, the condition I had it when I was first diagnosed, yeah, it was bad, but I was put on steroids for a while and that sort of cleared things up quite quickly. So I just assumed if I carry on taking the steroids and my medication, I'll be okay for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only when I started speaking to other people within the community, you can see like the severity and how that sort of moves and how it sort of shifts to the left. Yeah. Because I only had a, at the time, it was taking... I mean, it was taking a lot of medication, but it was just a handful of, of pills. Knocking back in the morning, it kept everything at bay. I thought, well, then it's no different than having like a paracetamol or an aspirin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, things progress, things get slightly worse. But it's only because your body gets used to the medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's incredible that you guys, you had such great support and resources um, well, from the school and everything, like as soon as you were diagnosed, yeah. I I personally wouldn't know. I wasn't. I was much old, older when I was diagnosed, but I know yeah. Tim. Tim was in university, and I don't know. Like, did you was yeah. your experience similar? Or? Not not really. It sounds like you got like your your university and hooked it up. That's <laughs> that's that's sweet. yeah. They paid for my internet, man, and I was like, you don't need to do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we do. And I was like, okay, we, we got you. We got, yeah, that's, yeah, no, mine was. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of in my last couple of years of undergrad here and I just, same same kind of thing, things just getting worse and it kind of got to that point where I know there was that like disability services at school and I, my, mine wasn't similar in the sense they had services, but they weren't nearly as equipped as, as yours. Like I, it was kind of weird because I didn't look super sick. I was just kind of tired and in a lot of pain. Mm. It's kind of on the inside, right? So, it, you know, I filled out the disability form and they're like, okay, well now you can write your exams and like just like a special room. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's, yeah. not, that's not the problem really. I just, <laughs> but, and then I tried to find like access. I tried to ask for like accessible parking because I just like, if I parked far away, it was like a bad flare and I didn't, you know, the yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. washrooms kind of thing. And I remember the receptionist just looked at me and she asked like, well, 
do you need a wheelchair or something? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm just like standing right in front of her. I'm like, no, I can, I can walk. I just, I still want to like shit my pants. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like you would have made a great athlete in like the track team. Like, <laughs> yeah. when you're flaring. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like sprint. Like the sprints oh, that gosh. you do for like yeah. to the bathroom. My God. I found, yeah, I found it was a lot of, for me at least, like a lot of kind of like this awkward explaining. I was trying to like, I felt like I was trying to like oh. plead my case to my school being like, no, like I really don't, like I want to be here, but it's really hard. And I, I don't know what you can offer me, but I'd like support. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like, well, when people have anxiety, they get to write it in the other room. And I was like, well, that's not the same. That's not really what I'm asking for. But it's so, it's so interesting how sometimes you have to prove that you're sick when you're not, you know, physically disabled or, or visibly disabled. People expect you to prove in a way that you're yeah. sick. And if, and if you can't prove it physically, they're like, Oh, it must be like anxiety or it must be, you know, it's just yeah. such an interesting mindset that it, that can probably play a big role in whether you feel supported too. And like your guys' situations, albeit we're so similar, you guys were treated completely different. Yeah, like for my, I don't know what your experience was, Ant, but like even for like my professors, when I was writing an exam, I was never allowed for some of them to like leave and go to the washroom. And I would kind of try to explain that if I didn't, I would just, you know, mm-hmm. have an accident or something. And they would mm-hmm. kind of say, well, then like you, you can't leave though. Like I wouldn't be allowed to leave. So I had to kind of like time it or be prepared to kind of like soil myself <laughs> if I was going to fail mm-hmm. this exam. But yeah, but that's, even that, it's just not fair. Like you'd be all given provisions to to help you and i don't know about you guys but you're not thinking logically when you you get that urgency and you're like how long have i got is it 10 minutes or 10 seconds like yeah. i remember doing an exam and it's one of my i think analytical chemistry exams and i did it in the brand new lecture theater we had which seated 150 people <laughs> and it was just me just you in so, well, this is the only room that we have and i was like what in the entire university and they're like yeah <laughs> so i just went and sat in the top top right hand corner <laughs> just set up a manager like yeah you've got three hours off you go <laughs> but there was never a sort of sense of you weren't allowed to go to the toilet like I think because I was so vocal with it and mm-hmm. I guess graphic in a certain sense like yeah you know I, I pass blood a lot like do you really want to get in the way of that because it's going to turn into the shining in a minute mate. <laughs> really yeah really painting that image and my I guess <laughs> yeah. we're on the the this topic of this kind of like self-advocacy i mean Ant, you seem like a really confident guy really like always were from the get-go like putting yourself out there really like not afraid to be like hey listen like the shining's gonna happen in your <laughs> classroom if you don't let me go to the washroom <laughs> but was there ever any moment periods of time or eras when you had to kind of get a support to be with you for that to kind help of advocate. to help advocate for yeah. yourself like friends family like, was there anything that you needed to like hey i need almost like someone by my side for this. Cause you're right. You mentioned before, sometimes you're not thinking logically when you're ill or in a big flare and it's kind of hard um, to be your own, your own lawyer in a sense for your own health. Like who do you lean on? I mean, I think the f- couple of first times that I went to the hospital, it was a time when um, I was having a very bad flare up and I always find like when I've gone to hospital, I guess it's slightly different because you see people that are there who are really physically unwell and, and, and really struggling. And you sit and go, well, I don't need a bed. I can sit on a chair. I don't need a bed, though. Like, that's fine. And I went to a hospital a couple of years ago, and it was the first time I started to go on things like cyclosporin and things because nothing was working. I went in at, like, I think, I want to say 9 in the morning. I literally didn't go to work. And they said, right, no worries. What we'll do is we'll we'll sit in the waiting area, et cetera, and we'll... we'll get you hooked up to a drip, try and get you some sort of fluids and stuff. 
And obviously my parents were at work and they sort of messaged me when they finished work saying, well, how are you doing? And I was like, I haven't moved in the last sort of like eight hours. And it's at a time where the NHS were very, very stretched. I mean, they're even more stretched now, which is the silly thing, but they were so stretched and they were just closing wards off. So I went into a ward for about a few hours, got hydrated and I said, right, we're going to, we have to close this ward now because this is going to be turned into a triage area for surgery. So you're going to have to go downstairs because you're not having surgery. And I sat in a waiting area for about, I think, 16, 17 hours. There was me, there was two old ladies and an old man. And they kept saying, oh, we're going to get a bed for you and bid it and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, don't worry about me. Worry about them. Like the old lady at the end just looks like she's going to fall off her chair. Like she can't sit here. And I was having to like sort of help others, if you will. And then it came around to the morning. My mum and dad came in and they were like, why have you not, why are you not in bed? Why have you not been seen? Why are you not in the room? And I was like, well, there's other people here that need it more than I. And then my dad was like, no, Anne, you can't be like this. You're just as ill as, as they are. And my parents like went off and spoke to the, the head nurse and was like, what's going on? He's been in all this time, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then, and then quite quickly got turned around that I was I was put in an office on a bed, but I was put in an office. And they're like, right, cool. We're really sorry. And I was just like, look, but I, because I was there, I could see it. And I don't know if you guys have had that experience before where you when you go to, say, an emergency room or, or, or A&E department and you see people that are they're suffering more than you mm-hmm. in the sense that they're, they're physically suffering more than you. And you kind of go, well, I'm flaring, but I can get to a toilet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it will be okay. Like, I know I'm not well. Like, I know I'm not well, but I'm not as unwell as they are. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at it that way around. My doctor saw me the day after and said, yeah, but you can't have that mentality because you're more ill than they are. Mm-hmm. They just they just got different symptoms to you. Their symptoms are much more visible and yours mm-hmm. aren't. And that's why you've got to shout and scream a bit more. Otherwise, you're not going to get your way. Mm-hmm. And it was right. And it re- it's, it's really true. It really, really is true. Mm-hmm. Even now, guys, like, um, you know, with my, my um, ileostomy and having my bag, after you have your surgery, you don't have any sense of urgency anymore. Hmm. There's no pain because nothing's being directed out of your rectum. Like, nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. So you instantly feel like, oh, my God, I feel better. Mm-hmm. And even that doesn't make sense. Because now, you know, my all my waste is coming out of my abdomen. Mm-hmm. So even when all that was going on, I was in hospital for like a good three weeks because it didn't work properly. But you feel better because you have you're not having you haven't got the same senses and problems as before. Mm-hmm. You know, I was laughing, joking around with the doctors. Mm-hmm. I was saying to them, "Yeah, don't worry about this. I'll, I'll do my own charts and stuff." And they were like, <laughs> "No, no, don't do that." And I was like, "Yeah, but." You don't need to take care of me. I can take care of myself because there's people in that ward that are so ill. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, where I was, I was on a ward where um, a lot of people were going to sort of either palliative care or like they're, they're, it was covering for terminal diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And they were very unwell. And I kept saying to the nurses and stuff like you could hear them walking from like room to room come in they shut the curtains obviously you can hear every single piece yeah. of conversation but doctors think well, if i shut the curtain no one can hear us yeah. <laughs> and then yeah you, unfortunately you, you would hear like this person is suffering with cancer we've done this in the surgery we've done that in the surgery unfortunately there's not much else we can do so next week we're going to try and do palliative care treatment and stuff like that and then they come over to me and be like and here's mr andrews like, hi guys how are you you're good yeah how's your morning going and it, even that is like it's insane because you look and sound great. Mm-hmm. And they're like, so what's happening? I was like, it's not working. 
I don't know why it's not working, but it's not working. Nothing's coming out of it. I'm getting really blocked up. It's getting quite painful, I won't lie. But I can't complain because look yeah. at all these other people around me sort of yeah. thing. Even on um, the BBC doc for the But You Don't Look Sick, you basically showed everything. Like you showed the parts of it where you were in pain. You showed the parts like the harder days. You were open and honest about it. Was that something you were comfortable doing? I, I wanted it to be like that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. otherwise it would have just been something where people go, oh, okay. And then it's sort of written off. I wanted more people to be aware that actually the recovery side of it is very difficult. And it was kind of to show that even though I'm trying to get something resolved with my colitis, it was to show that it, it is still really difficult. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, sort of have the misconception that, well, you have colitis, so if you get rid of your colon, everything's finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, having surgery, like, it, it did get rid of a lot of things, but it hasn't got rid of my entire condition. I've got my little rectal stump still in, and, you know, that may become ulcerated again in the future, perhaps. We don't know. Do you feel like um, you have a bit more of your freedom back, though, after the surgery? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the first, like, the whole point of the, the doc um, was that that point to where I am now has been such a hard, well, such a long journey. It's been, and that bit was really difficult because I was there for 19 days. And that was just because this is going to sound really silly. Like my abdominal wall was too thick. <laughs> so <laughs> your abs are too yeah, dense. Yeah. <laughs> too dense of abs. Jeez. <laughs> it wasn't that. It's not, no, it's, it's, it's your internal abdominal. Oh, okay. Um, Honestly, doctors were like, yeah, your, your, your abdominal wall, your internal wall is very thick. So where we've put the tube, like your intestine, the little tube, mm-hmm. every time you move, it's just clamping down and squeezing it. Mm-hmm. And your intestine doesn't like that. And that's why it keeps falling to sleep. The weirdest thing, and guys, it's so surreal. If you ever have your stomas or bits and pieces and stuff, doctors getting their finger and just doing that, like going into your stomach, <laughs> just like this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you've got really thick wall. Like, that's really thick. And they're like, yeah come here mate come here like, come here just put a glove on do that like, oh my god yeah guys can you like can you buy me a drink first before yeah. we start poking me in, the, in these sorts of holes is that okay like, do you mind <laughs> i'm not really into this <laughs> um yeah. but yeah it was again the misconception is you're really healthy you've got incredible muscular strength internally and they said the surgery was great but you know, you're still having problems and that's what they couldn't work out. And that was really mentally sort of draining mm-hmm. because again, mm-hmm. you build yourself up for the surgery. Everything's going to get sorted out now. You'll be fine. Everyone had said it will be fine. Mm-hmm. Your life will change because of your bag. But I wanted everything to be shown as this is the raw yeah. nature of yeah. recovery. Mm-hmm. And this again is a snapshot of what it's like. Yeah. I'm not going to show you the 11 years, if you will, beforehand where you run off to a toilet and you film yourself just yeah. mm-hmm. you know head in your hands you know as you guys have done yeah. have i finished have i not finished this yeah. is so painful yeah. and stuff i'd rather show that bit that at least is you, you could see if that makes sense yeah the whole point of it was not to please people that i don't know it was to share stories with people that have felt alone and yeah. have gone i don't know what to do in this situation and maybe facing that sort of surgery and stuff and then look at it and go well, he had a pretty hard time, yeah. but actually he got over it. And that, and that was the point. What you've been doing is exactly what we want to discuss because it's just breaking those boundaries for men to understand that it's okay to not be okay, essentially. And what we're wanting other men to see is that 
it's okay to share your feelings and it doesn't make you any less of a man. If anything, it makes you more of a man. I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on your, your expectations for when you're getting back into exercise. I know with chronic illness, especially Crohn's and colitis, your body really goes through those ups and downs and you can, I know I've experienced where, you know, you've been going to the gym very regularly for a while. You're very happy with where you're at. It was a lot of hard work. And then you kind of get knocked on your ass with the illness and you kind of feel like you're losing all of this progress you've made and, oh, geez, how am I ever going to get back up to that? Do you, do you ever have those kind of mental roadblocks or challenges in your kind of personal Probably. fitness journey with it? And where do you, what do you focus on to get you back to doing that? Because I personally struggle with feeling like, oh, like even you said like 5K run, I'm like, like geez, what happens in a flare up? Like I would just be so, I was so discouraged to go back to the gym. I was like, how am I ever going to get back to what I was? It's like, do you struggle with that? How do you get by? Well, before my surgery, um, I'd always have periods of like, say, six to eight months of like semi-remission. So I'd be flaring, but nowhere near as ill as I, I would be sort of thing. And I'd have times where things would be completely normal. I'll go to the gym, I'll do everything as normal, etc. And then you get like a month or two where it just goes straight down the toilet, no pun intended. And <laughs> I guess <laughs> if you didn't know me and you just saw my Instagram profiles, my flair sort of coincided with like the summertime. So I'd always look great in the summer and feel awful in the winter. So I wouldn't exercise. I then do a whole circuit again, get to springtime, get better, exercise a lot, look great for the summer again, and then flare up in the winter. But every time I've been in those situations, I've always thought like, have your medicine, rest, because your body's telling you to rest mm-hmm. um, and talk with your doctors and your nurses, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially post-surgery. You don't want anything internally to, to go wrong. Yeah. And that's kind of it. It's just do things slowly. Give yourself little objectives, little targets and, and try and hit those targets. Don't do anything too quickly too and chat to people that have gone through it yeah. so you can sort of get a sort of an understanding of where you could be and how long it will take to go through. And when you get better, you'll get back to where you are. And you did it before, and those are little goals that you did and the little roads that you you went through, et cetera, you can do it again. And as frustrating as it can be, you get enjoyment with it because you start on that little journey again. I think the main thing is, is you, with this condition, you, you already know what mental resilience is anyway. You already know the ups and downs of, of what it's like. So you'll have good days or you'll have bad days, but you can't focus on those bad days. Because if you only focus on those bad days, you're never going to get out of, of where you are um, to get back where you need to be. You so it comes to down to see, being so. patient with yourself, it sounds like. Like that's yeah. like the main thing. I it's think just, it's just, yeah. It's, I mean, Tim, obviously, you know, you're, you're quite into fitness and bits and pieces. What what have you been able to do and sort of during non-flared up times? And, and yeah, stuff? over time I discovered that similar kind of process you outlined, just really bits and pieces. You know, you go in from being able to, you know, squat or do do something with quite quite a lot for yourself, a weight, and then you go from that to doing your your body weight, and you're already fatigued. Like I, I you know, was a pretty good athlete when I was younger, and now after like my one of my bad flares, you know, you get winded after you walk up a flight of stairs, and you're just like, wow, this is this kind of yeah. like I feel pathetic with myself right now, and just just focusing on focusing on those very creating the smallest possible goals you can for yourself that you're just going to go once you're there you'll even even if you don't want to make a plan for something you're going to do at the gym just go you'll figure it out Mm -hmm. do something that day do push-ups do push-ups on your knees do push-ups some other easier way just start somewhere and being very i found just being very uh, patient with my body and not to Mm -hmm. not to be too hard on myself and don't make it your obsession don't become so obsessed with it that you 
feel guilty and fester over it. And yeah, look yeah, for I think I think friends. that's a really good point actually. That a lot of people feel that they need to get results very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we are in that sort of society, aren't we? You want instant success, instant um, instant likes, or like instant health as well. I think it's, that's not talked about enough. It's like I want to be instantly better. Having a chronic illness is you're not going to get that. I think this condition, uh, especially or any chronic condition, it, it teaches you real mental resilience, and I think that in itself is something that I don't think is talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Like how mm-hmm. mentally strong, like we as individuals are, and, and that in itself is even when you're feeling down we all look up to each other in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. So you can talk to each other and be like, oh man, I'm having a bad day. And it'd be like, why, what's up? And you just, just having a very simple conversation, then you can re reevaluate where you are and then build new goals from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not fitness, it's life, you know, relationships, what you want with your career or whatever, yeah. you know, that in itself is, is a really, really beneficial point. Yeah. Cause you've always got to look at anything like this and try and take the positive out of it. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think that uh, you kind of, hit the nail on the head there with that aunt and a very important aspect of self-care is having positive self-talk and i think mm-hmm. you do an excellent job of creating a very positive narrative mm-hmm. for yourself oh no 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 mate. i just chat shit I, I don't have a <laughs> but that's a, that's like yeah you mean like humor things like that yeah i feel like that is sometimes people can make it seem very very easy to create such a positive mm-hmm. self-talk and self-narrative but i feel like it's quite can be quite difficult for some people to start yeah giving themselves the space to be like you know what yeah like you got this like this is good this is like you're 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 doing the best you can yeah. is that just I coming think my, my my job i'm a the high level term is i'm a learning and development specialist i train people in sort of finance and customer service and stuff like that so i work for a big finance company and i, I train people on how need to deal with customers and vulnerable customers and stuff like that and um having conversations with people like no you did really well with this and you know this is where we can do better this is where we can do that and stuff so sort of career-wise i have these conversations with people on a daily basis uh, outside of um social media i don't really do that much i mean i have a few friends and, and family members who i'll talk to that aren't on social media but but i've always been a positive person i don't know life's too short i think having this condition if if um, this is going to sound really odd if um if I didn't have this condition, I'd probably maybe be not as positive. I'd probably be maybe more pessimistic about things. Yeah. Because oh. when you're when you're young and you're growing up and stuff, you you set yourself your own goals in your head. So you go, by the time I'm 25, I want to own my own home. And by the time I'm 30, I want to be married and have three kids and smashing it and earning 100k and stuff <laughs> like that. And I think we we set ourselves very unrealistic targets. And I think having this condition you know your whole life's put on put on hold you've got to risk everything and i think this whole this whole process if you will has gone right what do you need to be happy i'm not what your goals what your dreams what your desires but what's going to make you happy because when you're happy in your moments and where you are etc you can then change your perspective on life and your outlook on life i'm not married i have no children i don't own my own home and i'm 31 so my life plan that i thought i would have would never be at this stage but am i happy yeah i'm really happy yeah. you know i've got a great girlfriend i've got great friends i've got a great family and i've got my help i could be getting all the bits that i've wanted like have a home be married have children but i could be really really ill mm-hmm. and go through all those bits and pieces again and i trade it to be well and I, I just think as well when you talk about your conditions or anything you've got to be positive about it you've got to show people in a certain sense that yeah, things are bad, but this is how you deal with it. I'm sure you may have spoken with some people that 
even in our community, are just very, very negative about things. Mm-hmm. That sort of negative energy or negative space, it will bring a lot of people down. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to people and I've gone, like, this is the reality of it, but actually put things into perspective. The way you're feeling at the moment is temporary. You know, mm-hmm. Things will get better. Your medication will work or you'll find a new drug treatment or there'll be a new option. You won't always be in this level of pain. Things will change and things will get better. Because if you only focus on the negative, you'll start everything in your periphery, if you will, in your life, you'll think in a very negative context. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can be really detrimental. So I've always tried to be as positive as possible with things. You know, and I think that's that's just a a good mantra to have. What about you guys? I mean, what was it like when you started sharing your stories to to friends and families? Because you're both very positive. You know, you're, you're I'm positive now. So if we if okay. we were to talk about it realistically, when I was first diagnosed, you kind of just don't know what it is. It's like all of a sudden you have a scope and they tell you this is what you have, take this medication. And I was in a similar mm. mindset as you were, like, okay, I just have to take this medication and I'm gonna be good. But as a few years kept going on, because I was keeping everything really close to my chest too, about what mm. I was feeling, everything like that. And you know, that starts to weigh heavy on you because this illness can be triggered by stress as well, right? Yeah, so 100%. holding that stuff in can almost be worse. So it was just about putting it into perspective. So I think it was two years into the illness when I realized, okay, like I'm a shell of who I used to be because I'm just kind of keeping it all to myself. How am I going to break out of this? Because prior to the illness, yeah, I was a very positive person. But the reality about finding happiness or positivity is that it takes work. It's 100%, it's yeah, yeah. 100% something you have to put the effort into. Because it's so much easier to find the negative throughout the day in any respect, whether you have an illness or not, it's so much easier to find the negative. You know, like somebody could cut you off in traffic and you might, it might ruin your whole day. Whereas now it's like, that doesn't like, are you really willing to let that dictate how you feel throughout the day? So it's about finding that positivity through a situation. And like you mentioned, finding that perspective. So it took me a few years, but yeah, I would say now I have a positive outlook on it. But of course, like there's ebbs and flows and every day can change depending on how you're feeling. And like Tim was mentioning, some days where you're like, you've made a bunch of progress and all of a sudden you take a step back, it can kind of put you in a a more negative headspace. But yeah, it's just reminding yourself, one, to be patient, like you've kind of been talking about and also just creating that or finding that perspective and understanding that the problems that you may have but may have been the biggest problems in your life before are so small in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, yeah. Kind of going back to what you guys what we just previously finished talking about about coming to terms, I guess, with where you're at with your illness, not letting it dictate your positivity in life. I think I kind of similar to what you mentioned, Ant, with when like I was, I guess, like in my early twenties when I was diagnosed, and like you had said, you kind of had these expectations for how your mid twenties, late twenties are gonna go. I was like, okay, I'm gonna graduate get good grades, go to this school to go do that, follow on along with my career, girlfriend, marriage, the whole whole bit. And I found it just was such a, my illness was such an aggravating, like it's just always something in the way. It was always like, oh geez, like another day of not being productive, another weekend, how am I ever going to travel? And it was like snowballing, just how, like in all the ways it may potentially just ruin my life instead of just being like, okay, this is where I'm at on this day today and like we'll take it from there. And it took me a while to learn how to kind of sit with it and be like, okay, this is where I'm at today. And it was kind of foolish of me to think I can plan out my whole life in my head and that it would go that way anyways. 
So just kind of. No, I don't think, mate. I don't think that's foolish. I think that's human nature. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, you look yeah. at you look at what everyone else has with you. So like your your parents and all the guardians and loved ones, whomever in front of you. And that's what they had. So you kind of set your expectations yeah, on yeah. what was in, what was in front of you. So it's like the sociology of human race. Like we, you know, it's expected that by a certain age you are yeah, done university. Yeah, totally. By a certain age you have the career you need. By a certain age you're married. So it, it there's like this unspoken schedule that's created yeah. and it, it, you're expected to follow that and when you kind of stray away from it you're it almost on, a yeah. bit of an yeah and you're a bit of an outlier to that expectation mm-hmm. so that that can start weighing heavy on you yeah, that you I, would have felt that way i definitely feel better for having mentally been able to deviate from that schedule like to break free of feeling like you need to like those expectations, mm. not that they're not realistic. And it's definitely, I feel really good to try and plan, you know, five year, 10 year plans. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of benefit to doing that, but just being able to be okay when something has to mm-hmm. change and to be, take new perspectives on what you mm-hmm. may be up to in life. It just gives you that, what, yeah, you kind of fight with that internal conflict, that internal battle of like, well, like I have to kind of change a little bit of who I am in my own perspective. And when you ever get those internal challenges, it's kind of a, very rewarding experience but challenging and yeah after i got through that it was kind of go more go with the flow and i'd like to do this i hope it works out we're going to try and do it but if it doesn't something Mm. else will come yeah yeah 100 i think the initial part of that acceptance part is very difficult one thing that um ever since i was a child that my dad has always instilled in me he's like you know everybody thinks that life is linear he's like so you see an end point and you're like oh that's where i need to go and you think going from a to b is what it is but you're actually going to go from a to c to f to g and then it's never linear he's like so you can't ever expect your life to just be that simple that you're going to go that way and it's going to be different for everybody and that was something that i also had to like explain to myself with this illness too is that Yeah. yeah like you you might expect that you can go to the gym you might expect that you can eat certain foods some people are like oh try vegan it worked for me but it's not, our bodies are so complex, it's impossible to just take one specific schedule or one specific meal plan and be like, yeah, this is going to work for me because it worked for Tim or it worked for Ant, you know? So it's just interesting. But My brother actually was diagnosed after I was. Um, he, had, he has Crohn's disease, but his is so mild. Like I just, I just think he he got it just because he likes to copy me, and that's that's the only reason why. Like he has no symptoms, no nothing. There's no medication. He was diagnosed five years ago, no issue. So whatsoever. how did he? How did he even end up being diagnosed if he has no symptoms? Like what? What? He was um, he had effect? he had like a sort of six month period of very similar symptoms to me. Hmm. Um, went to a private clinic, and they said, yeah, we 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 think you have Crohn's disease. Mm. and he's just been i guess very fortunate where he hasn't had any major flares at all you know and i think that's where um you know not saying this to to my brother and stuff but if you have a very very mild element of the condition and things how other people deal with it Mm -hmm. can then change how uh you know other people view the condition and then like an example is that i see this quite a lot is there's a lot of misinformation even within our own community so going back to the sort of BBC thing, oh, if you go vegan or you go vegetarian, like you'll be cured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, like, I'm not saying that you know if you if you have managed to go into a period of remission because of your um, sort of symptoms and stuff, changing diets or whatever. If you, you know, if I was to change my diet and going to like a vegan diet or a very 
heavy sort of veg diet like that, that would have destroyed me. Like, <laughs> there are times where like, I wouldn't have been able to eat any sort of roughage or anything like that at all. It would have just been like really, really bad. But some people could see someone on Instagram and go, yeah, if you go vegan, like it will cure you. They'll go, okay, great. I'm going to go to the grocery store tomorrow. I'm going to buy loads of vegan products and stuff like that. I'm going to eat loads of, you know, heavily vegetarian or vegetables and bits and pieces and I'll make a dinner and that will be fine. Mm-hmm. But that could, if they're in a flare, that can make them so much worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even, even when people, people talk about sort of medications they're on, you could put on, oh, I'm, I've had azathioprine, um, you know, cyclosporins, in, in, in flizumab, whatever it's called, all these other bits and pieces, biologics. Yeah. And I could be like, well, I've had a, a sort of routine injections, if you will, and I'm okay now for a couple of weeks and stuff. This is great. This is the way forward. Uh, what treatment do you have, Igmar? What do you have again? Me? Interview, which is uh, oh, venolizumab. It's a biologic. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 So you have your um, sort of session like once every, every six four, weeks or so? Every four weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, after like, as soon as you have your treatment, mm-hmm. you, you feel great and it kind of wears off slowly, I assume. And then by like week four, you feel a bit more tired and then you, you have more of it? So I'm on, I'm on week four right now. So my next infusion is actually in two days. But usually for the first three days after my infusion, I feel like absolute garbage. And oh, then, really? Yeah. And... In the last like six seven months, when I get to week four, I still feel fine it, to the point where I almost forget that it's time for my infusion. Oh. yeah. But so this, again, this is this is the element of misinformation. Most people go, "Well, you have it week one, you feel great, yeah. and then it kind of drops down like a bell curve, and then yeah. you get to week four, and you just you just sort of keep doing that." But you could you could the whole point of this is you could turn around and you could say to people, "You need to have this medication because this is how I feel. Yeah. I forget I need to go and have it." Yeah. And if you were that prominent within the community, yeah. people would go, well, I need to go and have it as well. I want to feel as good as yeah. you do. But, the but thing I know when I had it, exactly. my organs, yeah. like, they just stopped working. Yeah. <laughs> like, mate, don't have this. Don't touch it. This isn't working. Yeah, like, I, I, Intivio didn't, the one, the biologic Ismail's on, that I, I attempted the Intivio, mm-hmm. but it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It didn't make me any better. So I'm on Inflectra now, and that works for me. Mm-hmm. And I also don't feel anything with my infusions. I don't feel any up and downs. I just get them, and mm-hmm. I just, it feels like they could be putting water into me. And I, at this point, I don't. <laughs> but I know if I, maybe they put me on the sugar, the sugar water. <laughs> so the moral of that is talk to your medical registered medical professional, yeah. your family doctor, yeah, take medical yeah, advice. Yeah, and I, I know it's tough sometimes because even when yeah. I was at my lowest, I was on the internet and I was like, if I just eat enough boiled carrots, <laughs> if I just eat enough boiled carrots, this will calm it down. And I was, and I was a pretty smart guy. I just, I just didn't, I just like, when you're in those periods, you're at your lows, you kind of reach out for any string of hope. And that's yeah. why it's important to talk to your family doctor, registered primary healthcare provider. And also yeah, don't, don't fall into the trap of, misinformation because you're just going to ruin your expectations you're going to ruin you might do more harm than good i have a question for both of you guys what is because like obviously when we're in the flare-up we're just like grasping for straws to try and figure out something that will help us out one thing that i tried out i had tried to like a juice cleanse once before i was hospitalized i was like oh like celery juice i read celery juice and cabbage juice helps. So I, was, I, I went to this place and I got cabbage and celery juice made fresh for me and bottled. Then I'd like keep it refrigerated. And like it didn't necessarily work for me. But is there anything that kind of outlandish that you've tried when you were in the worst flares? Is there something that you wanted that you 
trying to put like your eggs in that basket and you're hoping that it would work. I, I can go first. I just would drink a disgusting amount of like uh, pomegranate juice. Mm-hmm. I just thought that if I drank enough pomegranate juice, it would just give me like, cause it made me go to the washroom so much. I already had urgency, but I just mm-hmm. felt like if I drank enough pomegranate juice, it was like, like I was putting something really, like it was doing mm-hmm. something to me positive. Like it was mm-hmm. going to really get me through whatever I needed. I and mean, it was expensive stuff. The brand Palm, I'd be like, geez. Like, and they're like this big. I was spending big. my whole you know, undergrad fortune on it. So I'd have to buy the mini ones. I'd be like, I got a ration, this pomegranate juice, be sipping on it. Just being like, all right. Watering it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know the cure. <laughs> like, um, I'll, I'll be honest. Do you know what I mean? I may have given in to too much stuff on Instagram. Have you tried yoga? Yeah, I've tried that. Have you tried kale? Yeah, I've tried that. Have you tried turmeric? Yeah, I've tried uh, crystals. Yeah, why not? Chuck it in. Who knows? Yeah, fuck it. I've tried. It doesn't work. I've just looked at lots of sort of home, not home remedies, but obviously remedies where it doesn't necessarily need like heavy medication and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, they, none of them worked. Um, I'm not saying that's not going to work for other people, but yeah. I just yeah. get I just get really sick when people are like. But have you tried yoga? And I'm, yeah, I've bent over and I've almost you know it's almost gone in my face. I ain't doing that. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I had um, a period where I was having like aloe vera syrup mm-hmm. as a gel and having that and just shotting that sort of thing. Uh, oh, apple cider vinegar. Apparently mm-hmm. that's supposed to be really good. Having a shot of that in the morning every morning. Um, and there's honestly there are benefits to all of those things. Oh yeah, of That's course, of course. And it, but it's it's yeah. Is right. that going to get rid of your flaring colitis? Probably not. No. And the thing otherwise is, the doctor would have said have this. Yeah. Well, aloe vera. It, someone had suggested it to me too, and I drank some, and it put me into a flare because apparently I have an allergy to it. So then it was like, you know, I was like, great, now I'm yeah. worse off than I was before I had this. What have you? What else? What else have you? Have you guys tried? It's been not not just sort of like juicing or or, or things like that. Have you tried things where you've had, um, you know, when you've been really bad? Is it like um, hot water bottles or mm-hmm. just meditating warm things baths, like that? Yeah. Or? Warm baths, just baths with a bunch of bath stuff in it i just will soak in a hot man-made hot tub for endless and that was just the biggest pain re- that was better than any pain medication i ever got was just boiling water on my body <laughs> do you put up some salt or anything in it or just, yeah no yeah whatever, yeah whatever you can find really yeah, just, whatever, just whatever you can find just, yeah yeah um put the game on have a few beers yeah exactly. yeah it's, it's remission fall, fall asleep wake up still in the tub it's rem- yeah you live in remission that's what it is <laughs> I, yeah, don't fall asleep in the tub, guys. That's, that's no, bad advice. Yeah, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> An inch of water, that's all it takes. I've never... Like, yeah, I, I a bath is like... Sometimes I can enjoy it, but I prefer like a, a heating pad over that. But I don't know. Like it, It's so different I'm, for everybody. Yeah, you know? I'm that's biased. I was a big bather. Yeah. Or like right now, I'm drinking peppermint tea. Like if... Um, you know, if I'm <laughs> sore or if my like, gut's acting up, peppermint tea is always uh, great thing yeah. and i introduced him to something new the other day not that this is supposed to help anything but adding a little bit of baileys into your peppermint tea is great peppermint tea and baileys yeah <laughs> changing my world yeah i mean we gotta get that to catch on yeah i got a little deeper into promoting promoting sure. alcoholism yeah. <laughs> it's just a sunday thing i uh yeah we want to talk a little bit about relationships mm-hmm. with chronic illness i know you said you have a great partner well, she's she's actually here. She's in the other room at the moment. Well, we met this year. Oh, okay. I mean, twenty twenty in itself as a as a year has just been a it's just bizarre. So we met sort of yeah early start early start of the year, and I wasn't very well at all. 
I was just very open about bits and pieces and just said, uh, before we get going, well, not, it wasn't like, hi, how are you? I suffer with this. Are you okay with that? It wasn't like that sort of in. <laughs> but it was very much like we met up and we were talking, chatting bits and pieces and stuff. And this is what my condition is. It doesn't affect you in any way, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And she was like, yeah, so it's fine. Like, you know, uh, yeah, we're on a couple of dates. And, you know, she's like, you can't tell that you're not well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have absolutely no idea. She's like, so it's absolutely fine. And I was like, well, in a few weeks, I'm going to go and have a, a pretty major operation. Um, you know, it's definitely the wrong time to start dating. But I just sort of said, like, you know, um, if you want to keep in touch, that's fine. If not, no worries, no no pressure, whatever. I, I just went on a couple of dates, wasn't expecting like, anything out of it sort of thing. And then we met up after uh, after my surgery and stuff. Um, and that was a big, that was a big mental challenge. Like before surgery, I was in really good shape. I had a six pack, stuff like that. I then spent three weeks in hospital. I've now got an external bag, which I had to sort of get used to. Um, ironically, all, all the definition had gone. I'd lost weight, but I'd put on sort of fat because your body's going into like survival mode. And I was on TPN, so which is, here's a really calorific drink to sort of help you put weight yeah, back three on. Three weeks in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, I got a little gut and I was like, what the hell is happening here, man? Like, here you go, have your, have your milkshakes, have your TPN. And obviously went and met her and stuff. And the, when I met her before, obviously I looked completely different. And when I met her after, I was very nervous, um, especially like being intimate beforehand wouldn't have bothered me because I haven't got like a, a, a shit bag hanging off you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the first time that, you know, we, we started doing bits and pieces together and like that. It was like, I felt very very vulnerable because it was like you can physically see my problem now mm-hmm. and she was like i don't i didn't even notice it and since then like you know things have been great she's been absolutely incredible so supportive is, is probably more of an advocate for my disability than i am so she works for um uh cosmo um like cosmopolitan magazine she's oh, cool. a, she, she does that in the uk yeah so she's very sort of art orientation and stuff like this and she'll she'll do something at work and then she'll sort of message me and be like, Oh, this is a really good idea that you could do that could help promote your, like your IBD and your bag and stuff. So we'll do stuff like that. And hmm. um, yeah, she's great. And it's, it's never uh, anyone that's ever like any of your listeners that have got a, an ileostomy or, or, or an ostomy bag. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't get in the way of anything at all. I mean, yeah, there are just times where you're like, oh, I've got to go change my bag. I've, I've got to go, but that's kind of it. You know, that, that's literally it. There, there are no other issues, no problems at all. And, you know, I'd like to think I found the right person because, you know, I was so nervous about the whole thing. Um, and she was like, I can't really remember you without the bag. She's like, I can only remember you with the bag. And, you know, she's like, I still think you're really attractive. I still think you're such a lovely person. So why does that, why does that matter? So, you know, I do pay her a bit to say that sometimes. <laughs> she probably gives you a good rate at least. Like, she's paying for the gym. Yeah, <laughs> she pays for the gym. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but That's yeah, no, she's, um, congratulations. She's, she's, no, thanks, guys. I mean, she's she's been a, a a really positive like person in this sort of very very difficult year. Yeah, someone like that to you know speak to you. You know, you know, if I'm like I'm not feeling great or I feel like I'm out of a partial blockage, come on. She's like, right, cool, no worries. We'll cancel our plans. Mm-hmm. Um, lie on your side for a couple of hours. It will pass, and then we'll just go and do whatever we're going to do the day after and stuff like that. Yeah, she's been incredibly supportive, and I think. You know, it's like anything in life when you, you find someone like that or someone just accepts you for you then great your your illness your disability it doesn't define who you are it's just a tiny add-on 
yeah. to to who you are. And everyone's got their own baggage. Yeah. I've got I've got a bag. But everyone's got their own baggage. You know what I mean? Everyone's got something. So it really doesn't matter. I mean, what about you guys? I mean, have you had positive or even negative experiences with with your you know, conditions and stuff? Um, well, yeah, I guess I, I could start. I, I've been with my current girlfriend for just about three years now. And I've always been in remission when we've been together. So she hasn't really been with me for when I was going through certain periods of flares. But that is also kind of same thing as you mentioned at just kind of nerve-wracking a little awkward to kind of explain when we first started going on a few dates because i'd just come off of like my biggest hospitalization flare and she didn't really know that side of that part of my life so i kind of felt the need to also be really transparent be just like hey just so you know this is what i got going on this is what's happened in the past this is what could happen won't won't really affect you at all it's just something that i kind of go through but i'm okay with it and i need to go for infusions every now and then but you're allowed to come and there's two comfy chairs so <laughs> so you can sit with me and <laughs> can be our little dates you can have you can have the cookie at the end yeah, of it yeah 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 they can probably hook you over the cookie too so and she was very like same thing you said just like really really super supportive very like awesome terrific except really i never at any moment didn't feel accepted or she wasn't didn't think it was weird at all everyone has their things and we just kind of embraced it and, you know, go for infusions, driving me to colonoscopies, that kind of thing. It's always just been a journey together. And she's really terrific at finding and helping me find the humor in it all and not getting really worked down about it. So she's very, she's very supportive. Yeah. 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 She's awesome. Yeah. She's yeah. been terrific. Same thing. Really been terrific, you. terrific throughout all of it. And I couldn't imagine not having a, such a good support system. Yeah. So direct in my well, life. I'm, I'm really pleased, with you. especially that you felt that you both find humor in it as well. Yeah, like that's that's the that's the best bit of it. Like when you can just laugh about everything. Yeah. And then for me, um, well, I was diagnosed five years ago this month, and my partner and I started dating eight months after that. So we've been together for four and a half years at this point. Wow. Yeah, and he is like honestly one of the most supportive people ever because again comes to all my infusions with me as well. Up until COVID, now he can't. But like all the nurses there know him. When I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital for a week. He slept in the chair next to my bed for all five days. Like, wow. yeah, like very, very supportive. The thing is, like you said, when you find that person, you know. And the thing is, people will look past that. They look past your bag. They look past your baggage. They look past anything that you're bringing to the table. Because, and also, everybody brings something else to the table too. Everybody, even whether they don't have an illness or not, they're still bringing something from their past, from their life, from their experiences into the relationship. So no matter what, whether it's an illness or something else, everybody's bringing something into it. It's nice to hear the stories from like now three individuals who are in like success successful relationships and to show that it's not just about that, that even with an illness, you can have everything you want it. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah. There was, there was a story um, about a guy in the UK that um, mm -hmm. he asked to not have his stoma made permanent. Um, he'd rather die and he went to court and he, he won his court case and yeah. he sadly passed away. That was just was so, past summer. Yeah. yeah, he was so upset with how he would look. Mm -hmm. um, he struggled with it. I mean, I read, the, I read a few of the, the documents that came out of it. He really struggled with it. He was very worried about how he would look. And how you then wouldn't be able to find a partner and all these sorts of things. I think, again, stuff like that, I don't know about you guys, but it certainly sort of makes me feel like we need to, as a community, try and connect with as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, if more people can hear the success stories and mm -hmm. especially finding a partner and, and stuff like that, and if that's your main concern, like it, things will happen. Mm -hmm. It's really sad and to see 
you know, someone would consider taking their own life because of having IBD. And it's kind of like, I would just wish we'd have a conversation, mate. Like, I know. Do you I, know what I mean? I said the exact same thing because, you know, like that aspect of it, because the thing that they said he was most worried about was what his life would be like afterwards. Yeah. What if he would be able to date or if he'd be able to be in a relationship or a successful relationship. And I think there's so many examples out there. And it's like, maybe if they were more on the forefront and there was those resources out there for him to see that there that does exist yeah. i think as well though with, with, with those sorts of things like people are allowed to have their own choices mm-hmm. ju- it's just sad that that was his choice mm-hmm. yeah. that's why especially when we did the documentary and stuff it was like look i've done this to carry on living and carry on having a great life yeah and that's kind of our one of our main goals for just the podcast and talking to people like yourself is just getting that awareness, hearing more positive voices, more experiences. This this yeah. disease is a chronic, huge spectrum, so many different personal journeys that go along with it. I think if you're kind of the more you're exposed to, the more you can mm-hmm. kind of pull from it and kind of help create your own personal uh, positive mindset and hearing other people's experiences, really just pulling really holding the ones that really identify with yourself really close to your heart because there's so many different journeys and so many different stories mm-hmm. to hear. Something I was saying recently too is like when I was diagnosed, it felt like you almost, for me, and I, I know there's other people that have reached out to me that have felt similar. They're like, oh my God, I feel like my life is ending now because I was diagnosed. But it's almost like from that day forward, it was a completely new chapter. It's not that yeah. life ended, it was a chapter ended and a new chapter began. And anything that's happened since that point, never would have imagined. Because at that on that day, I was like, "Oh, well, now life is going to be completely different, and it's over." But really, so many more opportunities have come up, so many more areas to like help, help, and just helping and raising that awareness has been such a like big part of my own journey too to try and help other people. So I think, yeah, like with this podcast and with your documentary, it's just like those are the types of resources that we need more of for people to be able to move forward and like grow from this, you know, and that so much more is possible after the fact. So people do feel supported, especially men, I think is kind of the main thing too right now. Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's rare that you get these sorts of instances in your life that people go through major emergencies or, you know, major crises. Um, that I hope we, we, you know, do learn from it. You reconnect with those people that you haven't spoken to in ages. You don't take every day for granted. You don't sit there and go, oh, my God, I hate my job. I hate what's going on. You change things for the better and you go do what you want to do because, mm-hmm. you know, life life is short and you should be happy, you know. And I, I think this year has taught me that more than anything. You know, it's, it's, it's showing a lot of people like this is actually what it's like to have a chronic illness and to have an invisible illness. 100%. Where mm-hmm. you, you have days where you've got to stay in for weeks or even months. Yeah. And you got to find that positivity through it because it can, for so many people, it was like affecting their mental health, just being kind of isolated. And it's like, yeah, like you said, it's kind of giving them a glimpse of what it's like for people living with a chronic illness. And you got to push through, find that positivity, find, you got to advocate for yourself. You got to do all of that. Yeah. Mm. But it also, there's so much positive that came out of it too, because I feel like it forced people to slow down a little bit and really take... Reevaluate, take yeah, stock. Evaluate, and then also have more in-depth conversations with people too, because we were all just so go, 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 given like where technology and life has taken us, that now we're all forced to really 
look at what's in front of us and focus on it. You know, as a as a cutaway, if you will, this year has been so so crazy. But ironically, this has been one of the best years of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, which, how how many people can say that during a pandemic? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's just it's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I think on that I think on that note, we need to wrap this up because I mean that was like a beautiful <laughs> ending, like very positive message on how this year is for you like and it, maybe that's going to help people then reevaluate their years and see maybe that their years were very positive too but they weren't looking at the right aspect of it because so many positive yeah. things have come from this year but, i think i think perspective is a huge key so you know and i really hope you guys have also had you know this year's been challenging for everyone i really hope you guys have been okay and you know like general things like we have chatted before but you know if you want to reach out yeah feel free john and it's been such a pleasure um you know coming on your your podcast thank you aunt for joining us today and sharing your experiences and being like so open and honest about everything it was great having you on and we really appreciate your time galley health is a precision medicine company on a mission to make sure nobody ever feels isolated lost or powerless in the face of existing or potential disease Galley is a free, well-informed friend and personalized mobile app that helps you learn about, track, and proactively manage your inflammatory bowel disease, as well as connect with others who have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Download the Galley app for iOS today in the Apple Store or Android in the Google Play Store.